Hi, everybody. We are looking at relational wisdom during these weeks, and today I want to talk about the craving to be an insider that uh, we will all feel at different times. Uh, we sometimes call it cliqueiness, uh, cliques, being, being on the inside track and not being an outsider. Uh, the desire to be an insider is a huge drive, and uh, there's lots to learn about this, lots to watch out for, lots the Bible has to say. The place I want to come from in the Bible uh, today, touching on this theme, is the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And uh, just to give you some background to the story before we read our passage, uh, this is about a, a Moabitess, a woman from a different background, a different tribe, a different nation, who comes in to uh, the very tight-knit, close uh, community of Bethlehem. And uh, you've heard of Bethlehem, you've heard of, of, of Christmas. Uh, this is a long time before Christmas, but she's, she's really an outsider, uh, a foreigner, in fact. And the way in which she would get treated uh, is very different to the way she becomes treated because of a particular person. Uh, the kind of hero of the story, if you like, is a man called Boaz. And I want us to look at how he handles this new situation. So we're in Ruth chapter 2, just the first 16 verses. Uh, it's going to get read to us uh, on the screen. Let's, let's watch it together. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. 
and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. It's very painful to feel like an outsider. We've probably all had this experience in, in one way or another and uh, it can feel particularly sore when it seems as though uh, an, an insider group, some kind of uh, set of people, uh, a crew to which we love to belong, uh, seems to exclude us. And we have to deal with the, the emotional challenge of that, whether or not it is intended by the group of people. It's worth considering that the reality that it won't always be intended, even when it feels like it. Very often, a group of people will give an impression without any spite uh, that you or I are, are not really part of their party. And it can actually be something that's mainly in our own minds, this whole issue of, oh, why are they excluding me? Why are they deliberately keeping me out? And so the, the reality can be varying. Sometimes there is a genuine uh, spiteful exclusion, and sometimes it's just insensitivity, and sometimes it's almost <laughs> the precise opposite of what's intended, but it's still felt in our own experience that, that we're being treated as a, an outsider. And it's, it's a, a painful thing to, to deal with, and the way that we deal with it in reality might be the cause of giving birth to new kinds of clique. Uh, we, we find that cliques beget cliques uh, in normal human experience. Sometimes we congratulate ourselves on not needing to be part of that group. We imagine perhaps that we're kind of somehow free from, from that desire. You know, there, there's certain insiders around here. I don't need to be one of them. I, I, I'm not really interested in that. I don't need to be included in their kind of snobbery. But without realising it, very often we're accidentally uh, yielding to a completely different kind of snobbery. Nevertheless, it's just an alternative one. By, by resisting this kind of inner ring, we've eventually uh, created another one. And all it takes is two resistors to have a resistance. And you end up with another kind of subversive inside track. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of the new insiders. We're against them. And, and really, this, this problem kind of perpetuates itself, sometimes without us even realising that it's happening. So that the pain of being an outsider is something that we'll sometimes find ourselves dealing with. But then the reality of being an insider, or at least trying desperately to remain on the inside, is that it, it can be one of the causes of serious evil. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, in a famous kind of essay where he dealt with this, this issue, he said, there's nothing else, I don't know of anything else in life that's more powerful at turning otherwise good people into doers of evil deeds. This desire to be on the inside can create all kinds of evil decisions inside us. And that's just borne out by history. Surely you only have to look at obvious examples like, like Nazi Germany, where monstrous evils get generated, terrible, uh, epic-scale evils, 
But you know that it can't be that everybody in that entire population was, was moved by the same spiteful instincts. No, you know that, that large numbers of people in any situation like that will be carried along more by the desire to not be an outsider. And our desire to not be on the outside track will mean that just to remain on the inside will go along with something that's terribly evil just because we don't want to be cast out of that particular circle. So the power of this thing to create wickedness within us is serious. It's something we should be watching all the time. So we have to ask, you know, what, what is going on here? This, this power of cliqueiness, this power of belonging that creates evil and creates hurt and pain, what is, it? Is, it, is it just the case that basically any kind of exclusive society is, is wrong? Any kind of line delineating one group from another is, is wrong in itself? Well, that can't be true. Because we know there are some exclusions that are necessary. There, there are some lines that need drawing for, for the good of society. It's, I mean, it's marriage, an obvious example. Sometimes people might even resent it when uh, their friends get married and they feel like they see a bit less of them, they have a bit less time for, for their old friends. And, and people who've been uh, friends with, with people who've, who've gone off to be married can feel, ah, oh, this, is, this, is, this is an exclusion now. But the solution can't be that we just abandon marriage or that, you know, everyone, let's, okay, from now on, let's all just marry each other. We'll all be one big marriage with all, everyone. It doesn't work. We know that there are certain lines that are appropriately drawn. There, there are families, there are units where you know, there's a certain kind of relationship that is appropriately exclusive. There's a certain kind of belonging that's unique and distinct and necessarily so. I don't think we can say that the problem is groups themselves. Grouping up isn't necessarily the problem. Even close friendships aren't necessarily the problem. Close friendships are a gift from God, something to celebrate, something to even pursue and aim to achieve. So what is it that we're seeing as the evil here? I think that it's much more to do with the disposition of the heart. It's to do with the craving, the desire that you and I can feel t turned by to, to put our belonging to a certain group above everything else, to make it the primary thing, to make it the goal of our lives, and, and therefore to make it something that emotionally takes over, it becomes kind of disproportionate, you know, out, out of whack. It's like, what, why is this thing controlling my emotions in the way it does. When that happens, it means it's not so much that there is such a... It's not, it's not the fact that there are groups. It's the fact that my heart so craves to be part of it or my heart craves my position within it and will stop at nothing to remain safe within my, my position in this group. It is everything to me. And we see a lot in the Bible about this kind of desire that, that's called by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, evil desires. In, in John's letter, in, in the first epistle of John, he talks about uh, the, the boastful pride of life. Desires, the world and its desires, he said, which will pass away. There's certain kinds of longings and yearnings that, that so preoccupy us that they create jealousy. We can't think of certain people, maybe even friends, maybe erstwhile friends, 
who've now become objects of jealousy for us, envy. We can't really think of them without even a, perhaps a sort of twist of resentment, a slight sense of, of pain and bitterness towards them, maybe suspicion about why am, I, why am I being treated this way? What are they thinking? What are they saying about me? Or are they even thinking about me at all? Am I just ignored by those people from now on? And, and our minds can race along <laughs> in this kind of direction. I suppose that lockdown has perhaps created kind of bad soil for this kind of of these kinds of emotions because we are more and more likely having been separated from one another in person to allow our minds to play up certain versions of what people think of us or attitudes that can really be devastating to us suspicion can really grow and the, the kind of fear of missing out can be a controlling fear something that pushes us towards decisions that we wouldn't ordinarily make maybe even pushes us towards sacrificial decisions where we're prepared to put things that we know we shouldn't put on the altar we sacrifice our responsibilities we we sacrifice even friendships important relationships for the sake of nurturing another relationship that seems more important that seems more attractive that seems more special that seems more fashionable or worthwhile valuable in this present passing age we can sacrifice even the most important things there are. Many people in reality will foolishly choose to resist Jesus, resist converting to Christianity because of the desire to belong to the right circle. And we know that belonging to Jesus does not mean belonging to the hip circle most of the time. Anyone who's become a Christian will know that. That's the reality. And so, because we, we realize, if I follow Jesus, if I become joined with Jesus, I become joined with his people. They become my crew. And that, that's too much of a price, because my, my greatest longing is to become part of this group, this clique. And we're prepared to make the biggest spiritual, the most eternal decision on the basis of whether it helps us to connect with the world and, it, and its passing desires and vanities. This is a massive issue for us to deal with. And, and it, it, it kind of strikes us sometimes too late how kind of ironic it is, how empty it is, because we're giving way to a desire that ultimately can't really be satisfied. The strange thing about wanting to be an insider is that you never actually achieve it. You, you will never really feel like that you've made it. I've known this from even experience. I had the, the, the opportunity over the years of being involved in, in huge uh, events with thousands of people gathered for a week. And I've actually been the leader of those events. I've been the person who you would expect to be most at the heart, the inner core. If anyone belongs, it's me, because I'm the leader of this massive event, and so I'm really important. And I've had people talk to me during those weeks or after saying, it's like I just, I just don't feel like I belong. I feel like there's a certain kind of centre of this that I can't be part of. I think, what, what, why is it that you feel like you don't belong to the inner clique of this event? 
And I said to them, tell me what it feels like. What does it actually seem like to you? What you what, describe it, this feeling. And as they describe it, I think, but that's how I feel. <laughs> and I'm the guy that's supposed to be leading it. You know, the closer you get to the middle, the more you realise if, if the, the idol of your heart, the longing, the driving desire is this, if only I would belong like they belong, like he belongs, like she belongs, if that's the driving desire of your heart, I tell you, you'll never find it. It's like peeling an onion. It's all peel. It's all layers. That's all it is. There's always another layer and another layer and another layer until it's all gone. There's nothing there. And another thing that, that C.S. Lewis said is that until we get rid of our fear of being an outsider, until it dies, then an outsider we will remain. So something has, something has happened within us. There's a fear, there's a desire that's controlling me and you that we have to resist completely somehow. And this story in Ruth it's kind of an example of this because what we have here is, is this man, Boaz, who seems to deliberately think differently. His instinct, his, his commitment is to deliberately draw in the outsider rather than keep his insider status safe. And it's, it's shown in a few very simple practical ways, which let me just touch on a few that are really helpful because they're kind of, it's kind of coaching for me and you about how to handle real community and, and relationships. It's the fact that he just notices Ruth for a start. You saw that early on, the way he's, he notices this stranger and she becomes his focus. Now, if you know the story, you know that, you know, there becomes a greater reason why he notices her. It's kind of a romance, uh, but it doesn't start there. It doesn't start with a love at first sight thing. That's not it at all. This isn't Hollywood. He, he notices her because, well, she's new. She's an outsider and he's concerned for the outsider. He also starts to discover things about her that make her quite a special person. In spite of the fact that she's, she doesn't belong to the tribe, she doesn't belong to the crew, he thinks of her and thinks about things that make her unique and special. He starts to notice qualities. He starts to notice inner beauty, things about her that, that, that really are remarkable. He takes the time to consider, what, what's she like? What's she driven by? What kind of a story has she got? Which in itself is it's kind of educating for me because I need to learn to pay more attention carefully to an outsider's story, an outsider's desires and longings and yearnings and what's going on in their heart, what's going on in, in their minds, not just what's going on in mine, but help me think of this other person's. And he notices her in that kind of way. He speaks kindly to her. It might seem trivial, but it definitely isn't to Ruth. She notices it. You, you've spoken kindly to me. The way that we speak, the way that we approach, the way that we greet one another. The Bible has quite a lot to say about greeting. It's quite specific about how to greet people, how to deliberately greet, how to reach out to people, even in what we might see as quite trivial ways. But the Bible doesn't treat that side of life as trivial. It's important how we, how we speak. The kind words that, that Ruth receives from Boaz startle her and change the whole direction of this story. He even challenges his own people. The way he deals with Ruth is not just how he deals with Ruth, but he wants his own community to be kept up with his, his kind of dynamic, his kind of culture that he wants created. 
He tells them how he wants her to be protected and looked after, how he wants her to be provided for. He's, he's really deliberate about it. He's prepared to even rock the boat a bit. In that respect, he's very much like his descendant, Jesus, who, who in Luke's gospel is invited to a, uh, an important insider's dinner party. This is how Jesus behaves when he's with insiders. Uh, he, he gets up and speaks to the host, you know, the, of the, the, the kind of the group that he's with and says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your neighbours or your relatives or rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they can't repay you for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus is breaking in with a completely different set of priorities to this group who, who gather people to make them feel important. Jesus says that it's passing away. This, this, this world's going to pass away. There's a resurrection to come where we'll see what's important to God. And Boaz is operating in the same spirit in this, this story a thousand years before. So his, his deliberate decision to include, to work amongst his people to include. There's a shrewdness about it, though. I noticed that Boaz doesn't resort to just whining at his people. And that's an easy one to fall into. And we notice cliqueiness, which we do notice. And churches are not, a, you know, churches are full of cliqueiness. Let's be real. Emmanuel, as a church, will often fall into this mistake. We can become so cliquey so easy. But I've noticed as well the way we Christians tend to deal with it is simply by saying so. Oh, it's so cliquey. Well, you guys are so cliquey. I can imagine Boaz being tempted to just whinge about it. But he doesn't. He gets creative. He's shrewd. He thinks, how can I overcome this? He even works out ways to involve the community in his subversion. He says, I'll tell you what, let's all dig out more grain for her to reap. Let's, let's, let's all. He makes it fun. He says, he's basically saying, you can steal from me. Let's, let's all get involved. I can imagine loads of people going, really? This is so exciting. Getting involved in it because Boaz is creative about it. He doesn't just criticise and carp. He thinks creatively about how to generate the kind of culture that he wants. So I can imagine a lot of people thinking, this is amazing fun. We're getting to pull out more grain so that this lady Ruth can have it. Feeling part of it, she becomes an occasion for that memory they all have of something fun that they did. And she starts being someone that they befriend and enjoy. Boaz, in a way, he's trying to get himself off the perch. He's not saying, it's all about me and how heroic I am in my, my strong uh, declaiming of cliqueiness. No, he's, he's working much more wisely than that. He knows it's not all about him anyway. If we want to create a kind of church environment where people feel loved, we've got to give up being the hero of that ourselves. I, I encourage you to give money away secretly, for example. Just do it. Give loads of money away to someone in the church completely secretly. And that'll, that'll test you. That'll stretch you. you. You will think the next time you see them, they're going to be really nice to you. And they'll ignore you. They'll, they won't even notice it was you. And they'll just treat you rudely. And you'll just think, I can't believe it. I thought I was... And you realise, no, it's not about me. It's about the church. It's about the church being shown to be a community that loves outsiders... <laughs> whether or not I get to be the hero of the story. And Boaz shows that kind of mature attitude here. And he does it 
maturely, he does it insistently, he does it so well. I don't think he expects immediate gratification from it. He doesn't know that the story's going to end up with a wedding. <laughs> he doesn't know that at this stage. He's just wonderfully got an eternal perspective. And I think that's what this book is partly here for, to help us see the ways of our God. See, I think at the end of the day, Boaz, Boaz knows something about his God. The, the, the whole tribe, the, all the people in Bethlehem, they know that they're supposed to look out for uh, newcomers, sojourners, as the Bible calls them, just it's a word for foreigner. They're meant to deliberately care for foreigners who are poor to make sure that there's enough food for them. They're meant to leave the gleanings in the field, literally. Just make sure there's food out for people who can just come and take what they need. We're not allowed to take the gleanings. That's right there in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. It's very specific about that. But I get the feeling that the people in Bethlehem have been keeping that rule rather begrudgingly. Do you notice that? The way Boaz has to speak to them. Let her glean, even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Pull out some of the bundles for her. Leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Why did he have to say that? Probably, probably. Because the atmosphere in Bethlehem is not exactly sweetness and light about Ruth. The atmosphere is more resentful. It says in Leviticus, it says a lot of things in Leviticus. It's a weird book. All right, if we have to, we will put some grain out for this Moabites. We'll do that if we have to. But you know, you can do the rules with that kind of heart. Have you noticed? You can love your neighbour. But that's not Boaz. Boaz is, is perhaps he's, he's read a bit deeper. You go back to the book of Exodus where you get something about why God says this kind of thing. Look at Exodus chapter 23. You shall not oppress a sojourner because you know the heart of a sojourner. You were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Why do we care for outsiders? Because we're outsiders, right? the whole thing that's the whole story it's like Paul says in in the book of Romans in the New Testament welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you it's like God just wants us to be reminded to remember who you were remember who you are outsiders I, I I've I've called you I've welcomed you I've drawn you in but that's the the only reason you're on the inside with me it's because I reached out to you and welcomed you. And man, are you on the inside track. <laughs> you, you have a place with me. In my father's house, there's a place for me, Jesus said. And he shares it with us. He welcomes us into that level of true belonging. I think Boaz understands something about this. He understands the ways of his God. Doesn't just understand the rules. Yeah, we really ought to look out for newcomers. Yeah, we know. Anyone can say that. They say that everywhere. We know. We're told in primary school, be nice to strangers. You know, be kind to your neighbour. Fair enough. There's no power in that. Have you noticed? The rules don't change your heart. What changes your heart is when you get to know the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was the, the archetypal inside, he was the utter insider he became an outsider in order to welcome us inside 
This, this, surely this means everything to us. You look at the way he was in the stories, in the Gospels. Look at the way he was with people who were on the fringe, people who were marginalised. He would deliberately sometimes bring them right in with his disciples, deliberately draw attention, deliberately refer to them as friends, deliberately refer to them as family. When he was going to heal the daughter of an important man in one town whose daughter had been sick to the point of dying, he noticed another utter outsider, an ignored old woman, stooped over with an issue of blood. And when, when she reached out to be healed, he stopped everyone. Who touched me? Who, who is that? Who is that? This poor lady, she's terrified. She's going to get told off. Jesus brings her in. Do you know what he calls her? Daughter. Daughter. Just like Boaz talking to Ruth. Daughter. There's a place for you here. I recognise you. You're my daughter. I know there's this man's daughter that we need to go and pray for. <laughs> but you're my daughter. This is who you are. If, if you know Jesus, you've been called son, daughter, by the living God. You've been drawn in completely against what you deserve, what I deserve. You know it's scandalous, right, that we should be called sons and daughters. But that's just what we are. So it gives us a different perspective. We're not just keeping rules. Saying, we're saying, God, I, I, I'm looking to, to know this Jesus more. I love the love he's shown me. I want to extend it to others. I want to enjoy the reward that he promises. <laughs> I want to expect more and more and know more and more of his kindness, his patience and his love towards me. And so I'm glad to share it with other people. And you know what? This, this wicked, in, <laughs> uh, passing desire this evil desire to belong so that others don't belong, this, this desire to be in the inner ring that will drive me to all kinds of wrong decisions, I just, I just see it for what it is. I see it for what it is. The boastful pride of life, it's passing away. It's passing away. There's a belonging that will last forever and ever. I'm safe in that communion. I'm safe in that society, that group. And so I want to welcome other outsiders into it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for showing us more of your ways in this story. And I pray that you'd help us to live more out of the, the confidence and wonder of having been included 